0: Hi, this is Sean Fensky, back again with another Mike on MedTech and as always here with Mike Drews, the founder and president of Vascular Sciences to just kind of have a discussion uh, a little more general today. Uh we're we're talking about the issue of uh 3D printing in healthcare, just kind of looking at some of the advantages, some of the challenges, uh a little more Uh, uh, of a light, uh, less focused topic, but certainly one that seems to generate a a lot of interest in the industry and is uh, very much uh, uh, impacting different areas of medical device manufacturing. Uh, So, uh, Mike, uh, welcome again. And uh, let's just start off with uh, anything that you've seen in the realm of 3D printing for healthcare that really kind of gets you excited. I mean, there's been, you know, some, some kind of, you know, standard, uh, for lack of a better word, or, you know, it's, it's almost become commonplace now, uh, some of the applications. But have, what, what have you seen that really kind of got you excited or really kind of piqued your interest?
1: Well, that's a great question, Sean. And first of all, thank you again for the opportunity to, uh, to share my thoughts with you and your, your audience. Uh, before, getting into what I think is exciting, um, just as a teeny bit of background for those that might not be familiar with this area. Uh, so 3D printing in healthcare uh, is actually not a new idea. In fact, the idea of 3D printing goes back about 30 years. Um, and as you and I suspect many of your in your audience know, we have uh, somewhere north of about 85 medical devices that have been brought to the market here in the United States, uh, that is through the FDA, that are 3D printed. And so this is not nearly as far off or as Star trek as some people think. And specifically within the area of devices, as we'll talk about, we have a number of fairly simple kinds of disposable or single-use devices. But what I think is particularly interesting and much more challenging from a technology as well as a regulatory perspective, is implantable devices. Uh, we have, for example, skull implants that have been brought through the FDA as a 510K that can be customized for a particular patient. Um, I mentioned a moment ago we have some 85 medical devices that have been brought through the FDA. What some in your audience may not know is that the first 3D-printed drug was brought onto the market, that is through the FDA, just last year. Um, uh, in addition to that, there's the growing area of what has now become called bioprinting, where we're uh, printing living cells, living tissues for organ replacements, for changing the way we do clinical trials, and one other Technology that I'll mention very briefly because it's another thing that I have my fingers in, uh, and that is uh, what's called 4D printing, uh, where we can actually um, design products I won't call it a device, but a product that actually can change shape in time. Um, And there's a lot of very interesting possible applications there. And then, of course, the last major topic of Technological advance uh, is what we're starting to do now in printing of combination products. And taking it even a step further, there's been intellectual property developed, some of which that, you know, by myself, where we actually print a product, print, for example, something akin to a transdermal patch, but we print that inside the patient, in other words, under their skin, kind of combining the idea of a, tat, a, a um, robotic tattoo machine or a 3D printer tattoo machine, which we do have with the idea of a transdermal patch. So bottom line, um, you know, although we're making progress in this area, much of what we've done thus far in 3D printing, with all due respect to my many engineer friends, quite frankly, is pretty boring. I think the the really cool stuff is yet to come.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that, but i got to admit, uh, you, you mentioned a couple things there that uh, I hadn't even... You know, heard of yet? And I'd I'd love to do a uh, a brief follow up with you on those. And the first one would be the uh, the ones that change shape. I mean, I've certainly heard of the you know the custom implantables. um, And while those are you know fantastic, some are some are you know intended to be permanent, like the skull implants. Uh, You know, others are are biodegradable or bioresorbable. You know, it all depends on the particular application. Uh, But the the changing shape, you know, can you explain a little bit more on that um, without, you know, possibly violating any agreement <laughs> with anyone you're working with, of course, but, you know, just kind of give a little more information about that because, like I said, that is new to me.
1: Well, I'm glad to share something that is new to you, uh, Sean, because I know you're well, very well-traveled in this industry, um, and quite frankly, that's one of the challenges, because you know, it's obviously difficult to find people who are willing to talk about things that are not yet on the market. Right. You know, every, once something gets onto the market, of course, everybody wants to talk about it. But fortunately for me, and I don't mean this to be self-serving, but because I do have my fingers in many different pies, uh, although you're right, I still have to be very careful about what I say. You know, I have no problem with sharing in general kinds of things that some folks are working on. So specifically what you're uh, asking about in terms of the, the f- what we are now sort of calling 4D printing. Uh, is being in in the final final stages of development in some of the academic labs and is now uh, actually in a few startup companies that I'm working with. And that is uh, printing a device. And by the way, the idea for this comes from botany, believe it or not. There are plants that can change shape. Um, uh, for example, think of—I uh, think it's called the Venus flytrap, right? right, so, right. Uh, so there are plants that can change shape. Well, we're taking a similar approach with. Uh, uh, with 4D printing, and that is devices that can change shape. Uh, there are, There's no magic wires, you know, nobody's you know, arm is behind the curtain, so to speak. There's no batteries or anything. Obviously, this is, you know, that the physics have to be sound. This is not, you know, a perpetual motion machine. Um, but I'll leave it to you in the audience to just imagine what some of the um, implications for products like this can be. For example, I'll give you one, because this idea has been around for quite a while, and that is uh, the idea of self-assembly. Uh, so instead of putting a device into a patient, like an, like a, uh, you know, an endoscope or a laparoscope or something, uh, in its complete configuration, what we do is we deploy it into the patient in parts, and those parts sort of come together by themselves and self assemble do what they need to do, and then deassemble, and then we take them out of the patient so of course, this is not something that's on the market, although the idea has been around for for, for quite some time, uh, and we're now taking some of those ideas and trying to do them in in 3D printing
0: yeah I mean that's that's like. Like you said, just the one application. I mean, obviously, drug delivery could be an application. I mean, there's there's definitely a host of uh, of areas that could be uh, could be used with with things that'll move and, and change shape. Uh, and now the other one, though, is the uh, now I've seen you know tattoos. I've seen for for you know scanning or drug delivery or uh, uh, you know uh, patient monitoring. Uh, you know, there's electronics, but I haven't seen the 3D printing under the skin. Is this a, is this a drug delivery application, or what's, what's the, the use area for this?
1: Well, once again, uh, I have to be very careful what I say here because this is obviously
0: right, something right. that's
1: under development. But in general, here's the idea. So everybody knows, obviously, what a transdermal patch is, uh, mm-hmm. which, by the way, from a regulatory perspective, is a combination product. So imagine combining the idea of a transdermal patch with a uh, 3D printing of a tattoo, okay? So in other words, what we do is we literally print that patch underneath the patient's skin And of course, there are many advantages from a pharmacological perspective of doing this. First of all, we can choose what drug we can put into it. And by the way, it does not have to be a single drug. It can be a combination of drugs. We can choose or tailor the dosage of that drug to that particular patient. We can control the kinetics or the release rate, in other words, how fast or how slow that drug is Alluded from the patch, we can control what part of the body, obviously, it's put in. Uh, so all of this, for those of you in, in the audience that are familiar with uh, personalized medicine on the pharmaceutical side of the world, what we call pharmacogenomics, this is the medical device equivalent of doing exactly the same. So that's, at mm-hmm. a high level, Sean, that's the, that's the idea there. And of course, yeah, from not- a regulatory perspective, obviously, there are tremendous challenges in in, uh, in doing something like that, but, uh, you know, fortunately for me, that's why, you know, we have jobs.
0: <laughs> that's what keeps you, keeps you going, at least keeps you motivated, because it is, I mean, it definitely sounds like cool technology. It's definitely uh,
1: cool technology, and on a personal note, I will add that, although I do spend a lot of my time helping companies with Me Too products, I'm extremely fortunate in the sense that I do get to spend some of my time on products like the ones that I've just been describing that are truly new, truly novel, are not just another me too or even a next step, but truly something uh, something uh different. And that, you know, I agree with you. That's a lot of
0: fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So... So obviously the potential's there, you know, there's there's a huge opportunity there in, in healthcare with 3D printing. I don't think anybody's going to argue that or, or you know see any any problem with that statement. But what are the challenges that still exist? I mean, obviously 3D printing's becoming more accepted. The FDA's got their guidance document, you know, but where do the challenges really exist? These days, with with the process and the, you know, and and getting products to market that are three D printed.
1: Well, that's a great question, uh, Sean. And obviously, it's a very broad question. So, for the sake of our particular uh, discussion today. Perhaps it would be best to limit them to two general areas, the challenge uh, on the technology side and the challenge on the regulatory side, since this, after all, is Mike on MedTech and, you know, that's, that's my sort of forte is marrying the technology with the regulatory. So on the technology side, I see there are two fundamental challenges. The first, and I think you alluded to this a moment ago, is the challenge on the material side we're extremely limited in terms of selection of materials that are um, suitable for 3D printing applications. And by the way, since this is Mike on MedTech, we have to be careful when we use a a phrase like 3D printing. 3D printing has become almost a ubiquitous phrase, but from a technology perspective, there are now approaching two dozen different, and there there may be more, but uh, at last time that I counted, almost two dozen different fundamentally different technologies that are all being discussed under this general umbrella of 3d printing so on the material side the choices of materials are extremely limited especially for uh, materials that are going to go into the body like a permanent implant especially for what you were asking a moment ago about sean uh, drug delivery and so on so there are tremendous limitations on materials, and on the technology side, there are also tremendous limitations on the 3D printing systems themselves. Because let's face it, with just a couple of exceptions, the vast majority of 3D printers today were never designed for medical device or healthcare applications. They were all designed to be used in the aerospace aerospace industry or the automotive industry or consumer products or something like that. And while there certainly is some crossover, in order to truly address the challenges of the future, we're going to need new materials. We're also going to need new fundamentally different printing systems in order to use them. So those are a couple of the uh, challenges on the technology side. Of course, on the regulatory side, it also presents a number of challenges. You mentioned the guidance that FDA put out just last year it came out just last summer as a matter of fact on additive manufacturing uh, which by the way i think to begin with is a bit limiting because additive manufacturing uh, that phrase comes from this layered approach that many of the 3d printing systems have used in the past but if you look at some of the new technologies that are being developed today they are not being developed on that layered approach so that even the title of that guidance is somewhat um, limiting, if not deceptive. Uh, but the most important thing for your audience to understand in that guidance is there's nothing new in that guidance whatsoever. In other words, if, uh, if you're printing a 3D printed knee, for example, and about two years ago, we brought the first 3D printed knee onto the market here in the U.S., um, what the guidance basically says is, first and foremost, you have to meet all of the uh, regulatory requirements, the, the testing requirements and so on, of um, uh, any prosthetic knee, regardless of how it's manufactured. And then once you do that, now you start to add on top of it, the, the validation of your new manufacturing method. Because in this particular case, Sean, really the way to think of the, pr- the 3D printing is nothing more than a new way to manufacture, in the case of the knee, an existing device. And so, in that sense, uh, nothing is new in, in that guidance. There are other regulatory challenges, of course, we can get into if you want, but at a high level, um, that's where we're starting off.
0: Yeah, no, I think, I think just, uh, just starting with that, with that guidance document is a, is a great uh, first step and uh, actually something we had looked at, I think, in one of our videos that we had done earlier on, um, but just to get back to something you said about the materials, in some cases, with the the materials being the limiting factor, we actually have the materials in place. It's the it's the making the material 3D printable uh, that that's the holdup. Uh, in you know, for example, in the case of titanium, you know, once titanium is able to be provided in say a powder form affordably, that then allows it to be used for you know more custom orthopedic implants uh the 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 traditional more traditional machining processes uh there may be a significant shift in in that industry uh in particular where you know the uh the powder form of titanium is used in a 3D printing type application but right now it's just it's just much too expensive to uh to do every you know every orthopedic implant custom and and with that titanium material but uh as you said there's going to be new materials, there's going to be, you know, new developments, and, uh, you know, hopefully we end up with uh, some really exciting innovations that come, come as a result of, of all of the new uh, processes and materials for 3D printing. So.
1: Well, in, in part, Sean, I would agree with what you just said. And in part, with all due respect, I would slightly disagree. And let me explain what I mean by that. So I agree in the sense that if our goal here is to essentially take the materials that we're already using in the medical device industry and sort of adopt them to be 3D printer friendly, then you're exactly right. Uh, And the unfortunate reality is, um, this comes back to what I was saying a moment ago about the limitations on the, the technology of the machines. Uh, those machines are um, not very material friendly. In other words, depending on the technology, there are tremendous shear stresses, there are oftentimes high temperatures, and so on. And never mind the challenges that we get when we try to print metals, but polymers, and especially very funky, very finicky polymers um, that we want to use, for example, in Either bioabsorbable materials or indeed bioprinting—you um, know those those the mater- the sorry the machines that we're using—they just literally rip those materials apart. So so that's that's a, a, a challenge there. But the part that I, um, with all due respect, disagree, and this is not unique to the to the um, 3D printing arena. This is a problem that we faced in the medical device industry across the board is the materials that we're using already in the medical device industry are, in my opinion, as a professional biomedical engineer, uh, terrible materials. You know, we use the phrase, for example, biocompatible material. Well, what does biocompatible mean? Biocompatible simply means we put something into a patient and they do not drop dead. That's all (laughs) that biocompatible means. It's, well, you're laughing, so you appreciate my not so so use of humor here. But I'm being 100% serious.
0: Right, Biocompatible
1: right. does not mean that your body likes the material; it just simply means that it tolerates the material.
0: Right. It so can I think exist we in that environment. I'm sorry. I said it. It can exist in that environment.
1: That's exactly right. It can exist uh... so this is and this is a topic of a whole different conversation uh... but this is why some in this industry have been trying to raise the bar and say you know what for fifty years or more we've lived with the standard the the the, the gold standard if you will of biocompatible material but that's not good enough for us anymore mm-hmm. we want to strive for bio materials a bio material is a material that we put inside the body and the body really likes it Think about it this way. When you're born or as you develop, you mentioned, uh, I think, titanium earlier. How much titanium is found in your body? How much polyurethane is found in your body? How much silicone is found in your body? So the question, and I'll leave this as sort of a rhetorical question for now, but the question is, if you're not born with it and your body doesn't produce it, is it something that we really want to put inside of you?
0: Right, right. Exactly well, it feels like we just started the discussion, and that's, I think that 's what happens with a topic that is this broad uh, but you know ideally, readers you know or the the listeners out there will have questions on 3 d printing and you know reach out to to me via the email address below this uh, this uh, podcast player and uh, and give us your questions I mean, what questions do you have about 3 d printing what 's of interest to you what you know comments do you have about uh about materials or the the processes or the machines themselves as as mike uh, alluded to uh you know what what are your thoughts uh share them with us, and you know we'll do a follow up three d printing uh podcast uh, on a future uh, episode of mike and medtech but until then. Uh, this has been Sean Fensky with MPO and ODT magazines, and Mike Drews from Vascular Sciences. And uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Mike on MedTech. And we'll have a new topic and a and a new uh, podcast for you in about uh, a month. See you then.